Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everyone. And yes, yes, it's 2015. Can you believe it? And we're doing our first show for the year. It's 2015. I mean, can you believe it? So here we are, January. It's January 11th, and we have our very first show for the year. And next space show with Al and Joe. And, of course, I am Joe. And Al, well... He's still <laughs> he's hobbling, poor thing. He had a long, long night. So we're going to talk a little bit about some things that are coming up, and then I'm going to just let it rip over there. Give him uh, another couple minutes here. Got a lot of things coming up uh, this this weekend. This is next weekend. This weekend was the Albuquerque Comic Con. Hey, all those in New Mexico. And next weekend, the Tayocon is 2015. is going to be in Mesa, Arizona. That, of course, happens to be like hop, skip, and jump away from me here. So it'll be very cool. Um, on 17th, we've got... Well, hang on. Well, let's, let's stop, stop, stop. i got to go back a second. Otherwise, I will be totally chewed out. And we don't like to see that happen. The third Thursday creative meetup is on... Uh, January 15th, which is this Thursday, from 6.30 to 8.30. And we're going to be at the brand new location in Tempe. Uh, and wouldn't you know, I don't have an address on this. But it's definitely at the pizza place at um, off right off of Mill Avenue and Southern. Mill Avenue and Southern, right in Tempe. And it's just a couple doors down from the uh, Time Out Lounge, which, of course, is where we do the Hey Girl show. And so um, we're at the pizza place, just a couple doors down from the from the Time Out Lounge. And that'll be 6.30 on this Thursday. Now, the creative meetup group is, is really basically for creative people who can get together and talk about their projects. And we showcase a group, and we're showcasing... Uh, Garage FX, which is an advertiser of ours. And so, hey, guys. We like advertisers. And so we uh, are going to showcase them at this particular meeting. And they make really cool stuff. So out of just, you know, common everyday things, you know, I mean, you got to form out and they'll make something out of it. <laughs> I kid you not on that one. So definitely going to come out and see that. On Friday, the weekend, uh, 16, 17, 18, of course, Tayocon. And also, MESA Art Space event starts at 6 p.m. on Friday, the 16th, 6 to 8. And that's at the MESA Urban Garden at 212 East 1st Avenue in MESA. 
And uh, always good time out there to find out more about, you know, uh, what's going on in your community. And since Mesa is my community, uh, I get invited to those kind of cool things. Mesa Urban Garden. That's our space event. And then on Saturday the 17th, we're going to have a publishing marketing meetup. And that's from 1230 to 2.30. And that's... Uh, if you need to me more information about that, again, it's about publishing and marketing. So, uh, you know, it's for authors or aspiring authors or authors who have books that they're working on and almost done. And so they need to start doing their publishing or thinking about their marketing uh, before they're done with the book. So definitely PM me on Facebook if you want more uh, location. And I'd be happy to definitely do there. This week or this uh, Saturday is going to be uh, T.M. Williams is coming in and talking about marketing specifically uh, for authors from her book, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Sales and Marketing. Uh, author T.M. Williams will be we're very proud to have her there uh, speaking to all of us authors about marketing. Being the guru that she is, and of course next Saturday, next Sunday is hey we're going to be back here again next space show, and then of course the nineteenth is Bartman Lucy King's day, and then those photos again. I'm not going to tell you the personal stuff because you know that's just not going to tell you now. Uh, Glendale Chocolate Affair um, is going to be on the thirtieth and thirty first of January. Obviously in Glendale, since that's what they call it, Glendale Chocolate Affair. But before that, uh, we got some really great time uh, at the Hey Girl Show on the 28th on Wednesday. And, of course, that's a timeout lounge, which is, you know, right, like I said, right off of Mill Avenue and Southern. And, it's, you know, it's right down the hop, skip, and jump from the same complex as um, Zia Records, uh, good friends over there. So our show, uh, Hey Girl Show, is going to be 8 to 10 p.m. Uh, and we are showcasing the American Longspurs. They will be on site. And, of course, that's live music. Live music, live show, raw live. That's what we're talking about. So that's January. February is crazy. That's all I know. Uh, we've got a brand new book coming out, so several of them. So it's just nuts, but... Let's talk about the amazing Arizona Comic Con. 13th, 14th, and 15th, uh, we're planning on being out there. At least I know I will be. Uh, and if you want one other author, we've got, uh, so we'll be out there, amazing Arizona Comic Con, and we'll be running around like animals that we are. Um, and then, of course, we have another publishing and marketing meetup on the 21st. 1230 to 2.30, and on the 28th, uh, T.M. Williams has a sales and marketing class right in downtown Phoenix Library. And Galaxy Fest 2015, and that is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Prepper Fest Expo, believe it or not, we have one in Tucson. And that is on... Saturday, February 28th, and March 1st, of course, which is Saturday and Sunday. And that's on Down in Tucson. So, without further ado, we want to talk. Want to talk? Huh? Are we ready? Huh? 
Oh, I knew better. Yeah. I knew better. Eventually, I run out of things to say. I know it's hard to say. You know, it's been a, a long month for many of us with the holidays, the annual illnesses, oh, the inevitable traveling, and, of course, uh, turning into an ice cube uh, during so. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, there's always the family squabbles, the overeating, the losing weight, the credit card bill, and all of the things that that come, that, uh, that come with the beginning of the new year. Um, <laughs> this year is, of course, no different for us pesky little human creatures as we um, try in one minute to delay the inevitable and in the next we embrace the future and go forward with uh, with full tilt and, and total abandon. Um, just to remind all of you, uh, our guest call-in number is 714-242-5145. We'll be getting through the news portion of the show and then into our commentary. And as we get uh, to that point, feel free to please call in. Also, there is a chat, uh, chat line on the uh, webpage. Check in, uh, comment as we go. We'll be talking about some of those comments as we progress through the news. Just to let you know, we also have uh, on the chat all these these links that he's talking about, all this information. We actually give you the site online to find and the articles. follows along. And that way you can see the articles upon which I base the news and the commentary that we'll be going into later. And tonight, actually, we have two points for commentary and discussion. So please join in as we get as we get going. We're going to start uh, as we do each week with uh, our roundup. We're going to start with NASA news. Uh, NASA approves SpaceX plans to send astronauts to the space station. Now, most of us remember just this week uh, another launch of a SpaceX Dragon CRS. I think it was five goes to the space station this uh, past Saturday. Uh, successful launch. Uh, we'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. But NASA uh, uh, has certified that NASA has passed the certification baseline review, which required um, SpaceX to outline exactly how it plans to ferry crews to and from the lab using the Dragon spacecraft and its Falcon 9 rocket under the crew commercial crew transportation capability contract with the space agency. So check out the link. There's some interesting uh, tidbits there for you. Um, but for the most part, it's another step towards SpaceX being able to move astronauts to the ISS on a regular basis. Also, an infographic surfaced this, this past, uh, actually in the last couple of weeks, Home on the Moon, How to Build a Lunar Colony. Now, an outpost on the Earth's moon has been a staple of science fiction since the 20th century. One of the earliest practical proposals was the Army's 1959 design for a nuclear-powered fortress built to establish a military presence on the moon before the Soviet Union could do the same. The infographic illustrates much of current thought on how to get it done. Now, the infographic does not necessarily present the military's view on how to set up a fortress. However, it does talk about and it incorporates some of the most recent um, thought and technology on building a base on the moon's surface. In international news, India takes a giant step to the manned space to a its own manned space mission. 
with the successful launch of its first rocket equipped with an astronaut module to be able to send a man into space. India took a giant step towards making its first manned space mission after it successfully launched this latest rocket with a crew module. The testing of its geostationary launch vehicle capped a triumphant year for the ISRO, which completed the cheapest ever mission to Mars in this past September. It entered the Martian orbit only a day after the American MAVEN mission, but was 365 million pounds cheaper. You can tell that was from the UK. Uh, moving on to private space, Virgin Galactic will recover from a tragic crash. Crash. Now, you, many of you will remember that back on October 31st, uh, during a test, Spaceship Two crashed and killed one pilot, one test pilot, and injured the other. Now, the company founder, Sir Richard Branson, wrote uh, on January 2nd that he initially had doubts about whether it was wise to proceed with Spaceship Two's development in the wake of the tragic test flight. But ultimately, he and the company decided to move forward. And many of us, I am sure, would be disappointed if he had not done so. I didn't know he was even considering not going forward. You know, it's it's one of those things when you're faced with that type of a tragedy uh, between the loss of life, uh, the injuries, uh, the very, very public um, catastrophe. Yeah. Um, many people will recall the scale composites explosion a couple of years ago. Where they lost several individuals in a in, in an explosion of a rocket and fuel. Well, trailer. I can see that they would, you know, consider holding off for a while, but right. Well, some of us is. some of us aged old dinosaurs may remember the Apollo One fire that caused an entirely new way of thinking about cabin pressurization and gases for the astronauts to breathe when uh, a spark ignited the 100% oxygen atmosphere of the Apollo capsule right on the launch pad. And the men burned alive in instance. Um, and it was catastrophic. Uh, but just as in when Challenger and uh, Columbia both broke up on, on uh, return, yeah. uh, we pressed forward. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think it's important Space that we is remember not safe. that. Space is not safe. It is, um, in its, it is still in its early adolescence as we push yeah. the technology ever forward. And, and the new directions that, that the technology is going will continue to press this forward, and there will continue to be risks that these uh, brave men and women will, will need to face. So moving on, um, and another uh, change that occurred in new space Private Dream Chaser space plane keeps marching toward flight. Now, the Dream Chaser space plane built by Sierra Nevada continues to take steps forward toward flight, even though NASA did not select the private vehicle to ferry astronauts to and from the International Space Station. Now, Sierra Nevada uh, recently checked off a milestone laid out in the company's last commercial crew contract with NASA, which was signed in 2012. Now, the space agency did not award funding to Sierra Nevada in the initial phase of the program known as uh, Commercial Crew Transportation Cap, instead choosing SpaceX and Boeing to provide astronaut taxis. The optional work called Milestone 15A had Sierra Nevada show the Dream Chaser's reaction control system can operate in a vacuum chamber characterized by some of the conditions found in space. 
The system is supposed to help Dream Chaser maneuver in orbit and also guide it to landings on runways. Now, another thing to keep in mind here is that while Dream Tracer and Sierra Nevada continue to plod forward um, with their uh, private projects, they've gotten to a point where they need to push forward. And the reality is, is that if Dream Chaser still meets, if Dream Tracer meets, boy, that's a mouthful to try and get out. Even if they meet uh, their guidelines, and especially if they meet those guidelines, and they continue forward. And in fact, uh, there was an article last month, I recall, where they're looking to connect with the Strato Launch program with a scaled down version uh, to still put astronauts in space. And if they do that, there is still, the door will always be open with NASA to send astronauts up. And for many of the rest of us, the hope that ultimately we could be sending up space settlement or space workers that could be doing things in orbit with private stations, maybe the Chinese station, and so forth. So there will still be opportunities, even though uh, Sierra, Sierra Nevada did not get picked to be part of the final. Uh, I would have CCT. to say kudos to them for, for not, I mean, they licked their wounds and then they went on. Right. I think they came up with an alternative way to pursue their, their goals uh, and still say, stay pretty well on track. Now, uh, also part of private space, we've had a, a, another company come into play using high-altitude balloons. Now, Worldview Enterprises wants to send space tourists into the stratosphere, not with the jolt of a rocket, but gently with a balloon. Now, the fledgling Arizona-based company oh, wow. released a spectacular video of a sunrise from the stratosphere captured with a, from a recent unmanned commercial payload flight offering a glimpse at the vistas future customers might experience during a sunrise voyage. Uh, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it's it, they talk about this. Worldview launched its first unmanned test flight in June using a scaled-down version of a high-altitude balloon system. But by 2016, the company hopes to begin flying paying passengers inside a pressurized capsule up to an altitude of, of about 100,000 feet. Worldview's amazing balloon rides and pictures. Uh, now, here's also another truth. Many of you remember uh, Mr. Baumgartner's flight, where he jumped yeah. from a balloon above 100,000 feet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and uh, many of you listeners who have been longtime listeners of our show will remember, I predicted that within a year or two, we would see others follow Mr. Baumgartner. And... This company presents the potential for an opportunity for people to do that. Again, the next really big, really expensive, and really dangerous extreme sport could be suborbital skydiving. And this company presents a way that that could actually happen. Yeah. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, it, it is a step in an essay that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, that presents some wonderful, exciting new options that are going to be coming down the pike. Close but no cigar for landing on the historic SpaceX mission. SpaceX, we all saw, many of us saw this past weekend, launched uh, a rocket with the Dragon cargo craft for the ISS. But according to SpaceX founder Elon Musk, the mission's historic efforts to land the leftover booster on an ocean barge was unsuccessful. His tweet 
was rocket made it to drone spaceport ship but landed hard. Close but no cigar this time. Bodes well for the future though. So and basically for those of you who really uh, who do check out the uh, the article. There's actually some links to some others. Um, but basically the rocket came down on target dead center hovered but when it came down to touching down touched down a bit too hard toppled and broke apart and uh, they don't have video because it was pitch dark and foggy so sadly I, I, I'm guessing if they did have any video it's probably just of a big fireball or something there you know I don't know Maybe it's just a bunch of parts flying around in the dark. Who knows? That would have been uh, exciting. It would? Sure. Parts flying exciting. around in the dark with staff sure. members out there. Now, I, I do know this. There were no staff members on the boat, on the barge. Oh, that's they cool. were actually uh, several miles away. I would say so. On a, on a ship. Of course, <laughs> you know, safety's important. Well, yeah. Safety's important. Yeah. Um, in our related uh, technology segment this evening, <laughs> we looked at some, some really interesting Side notes. Yeah, um, some of you who have been following the space station will recall that uh, early last year, I think it was, um, they finally fixed the water purification system on the ISS so that the astronauts could drink uh, purified water. Now, the interesting thing about that was is that the intent was to be able to recycle all of the resulting moisture that's used in, in both breathed, excelled, or whatever through the ISS, including human urine. Now, as I understand it, they actually got that whole thing working, and it's palatable. Well, you'd hope so. Um, but Mr. Bill Gates, since stepping down as Microsoft CEO, Bill Gates has been hard at work trying to tackle the world's biggest health problems. And one promising project that's caught his eye is the Omni Processor, a huge machine that converts sewer sludge, yes, that's human's waste, into clean drinking water, ash, and electricity. Now, Gates was keen to visit one of the facilities to see, and more importantly, taste the results for himself. Check out uh, the article. There's a video. Um, the video with him drinking? There's a video with him drinking. Cool. Presumably water, not vodka. Well, I don't know. He's, he's been a pretty straight-laced guy for a lot of years. Uh, Keep in mind, this is, if not, he is, I believe, still the richest man on the planet. Right. It doesn't mean it doesn't yeah. nip a little bit. Right? Although this guy, you know, I, I remember seeing an article not just a few months ago that this guy is working hard. I mean, he's gone from working hard to make money so the article pointed out that now he's working hard to give away his money. Yeah. Well, and, and he is, okay. his wife both are doing this. You gotta understand something. He's going into retirement mode. Yeah. You know, you've got to get rid of some of that excess if you're going in retirement mode. Right. Otherwise, you're gonna be taxed the crap out of you. Well, I don't. Being the richest man in the world, I really don't think it's gonna bother him any. Apparently but, so. Well, I think that's less of the issue and more that, that with the resources he has at his disposal, there's a lot of good he can do. And he and his yeah. wife can do it. Oh, and I think, if you're listening, Bill, you can send a couple hundred thousand over here. <laughs> we're, we're not asking for much. A couple hundred thousand would just would, would set us up here with me, our for life. media company. Yeah, they'd set us up for life. But anyway. Sorry, moving on, moving on. Okay, okay. Enough of the self 
self-promotion there. Yeah, okay. All right, next on our list is another interesting article that talks about, it, it starts out talking about 3D printing, and then it talks about prosthetics. But what caught my attention is, is that this is something that actually has some applications relative to manned space flight. Um, 3D prosthetics, prosthetics that look fit for a sci-fi warrior. Now, the article title caught my attention. Now, Bespoke Innovation treats artificial limbs like works of art, and the eNaval project uses low-cost 3D printers to create high-power hands. Now, William Rood, a recent graduate from the Pratt Institute in New York City, has developed a system to 3D print super lightweight prosthetic legs with stealth styling. Called EXO, Root's prosthetic concept combines his interest in aesthetics and biomechatronics, as well as inquiries into the preferences of amputees. And quote, in my research, it became clear to me that there's a lot wrong with how designers typically try to approach a prosthetic limb and how the industry goes about making prosthesis, says Root. Prostheses are not aesthetically pleasing, extremely expensive, and difficult to produce. And I would echo that. I mean, I've, I've been following prostheses development for many years uh, in my hobby with uh, robotics and AI. And the challenges of, first of all, the, the brain-body uh, integration and being able to move the prosthesis in a, in a fluid way, um, like their original limb. Uh, also, in being able to obtain tactile feedback uh, from the limb. Uh, and cost has been a prohibitive uh, issue with prosthesis for so many people. And in the past year and a half, two years, 3D printing has allowed a host of people yeah to come up with low-cost hands, uh, even a few feet. And now this article also presents us. Now, what what might you ask this? We saw a hearing aid that was... Yeah, there, there was another article. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, 3D printing is really making inroads into a lot of areas. Now, the reason that this caught my eye is Mr. Imagination here <laughs> is thinking in terms of this type of 3D printing is bridging the gap to a certain degree in a lot of ways to what a lot of the companies engaged in, for example, um, the space elevator or the space-based solar power. Both um, nascent industries are looking towards 3D printing style technologies to be able to generate uh, the cabling or in the space things, the very airy, but strong structures that'll need to be in place to support the solar um, the solar power sats, and they've got to be able to do these things quickly. They've got to be able to do them inexpensively, and they've got to be able to do them remotely. And this is this is actually a technology that offers some insights into just how that might actually possibly develop. Now, along the same. 3D printing area. We have another article here. Pop-up fabrication technique trumps 3D printing. Now, I found this interesting because I remember the pop-up books I'd see as a kid, and to a certain degree, some of them you can still see in, in bookstores today, which are really intriguing, and kids, of course, love them. Even some adults get into these things. Some of them are fun. Sure. They can be real interesting. Um, in fact, I, I seem to recall a few years ago when Walking Dead was real popular, there was a Walking Dead pop-up book. 
That's what's quite scary. It is. And the book was. <laughs> zombies coming at you. <laughs> anyway, researchers at Northwestern University and the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign have developed a sample new fabrication technique to create beautiful, complex 3D micro and nanostructures with advantages over 3D printing for a variety of uses. The technique mimics the action of the children's pop-up book, starting as a flat two-dimensional structure and then popping up into a more complex 3D structure. Using a variety of advanced materials, including silicon, the researchers produced more than 40 different geometric designs, including shapes resembling a peacock, flower, starburst, table, basket, tent, and starfish. They've got some intriguing images, uh, although I, I have to say I, I didn't see anything that gave me an idea of scale on the images. Because when they talk about micro-sized uh, and uh, nano-sized objects that suggest these are really tiny. So it would be interesting to see what the scale is um, applied to these particular um, options. Moving on to our opportunities to participate, um, we're going to just scan down the list. Um, you know, we're going to have to come up with a way to put this list somewhere because it's, this list has gotten big yeah, we, um, we will be doing that once we get our new website up yeah uh, wad media will be the wad.net will have yeah. a new website uh, this year uh, in the coming month or so and that's what we're working on now um, along with the links can we can also put these under right underneath the show information right um, if you can put the links up for me while I name them off that would be appreciated Okay. Well, let's keep going. Get off your phone. I, I Put was, your Facebook I was away. Looking to make sure Put your Facebook away that. and let's get back to the show. Come on, let's get I to business. I am on the show. Uh-huh. Okay. Shut up. All right. Come on. Okay. Here we go. All right. NASA announces new opportunities for public participation in Asteroid Grand Challenge. NASA's got 10 projects with opportunities for people to join and um, participate in various different small uh, competitions uh, and work, uh, participate in their asteroid work, and so forth. Space gift ideas, out-of-this-world gifts for him or her with a price tag uh, for a ride into space might be out of people's ranges. There are still plenty of amazing gifts you can give your uh, spaceman in your life from the Big Bang Theory to high-end Star Trek jewelry. This guide should help you get there. Space gifts for kids, fun and educational ideas for the holidays, and beyond. So check that out as well. And the Mars Society operates two different uh, analog stations, which you can every year. They have an open uh, sign-up where you can sign up to be part of a, a team that actually goes out. And you go through the entire process at each site of a spacesuit, the station, the oh, sneezes. Uh, all of the different things that would go into a simulated Mars mission. So check that out. Excuse his... Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the Mars Initiative is to provide an online transparent fundraising venue for the Mars Prize Fund. Uh, public savings account for successful human Mars mission. 
Celestial Suds, we've talked about this and actually joked about it a few times. Yeah. Uh, beers uh, that were brewed uh, around the idea of a uh, uh, classical music piece called The Planets. Uh, check that out. Um, also, the Boy Scouts have space exploration, merit badges, and so forth. So for all you scouters there, you ought to go check that out as well. Um, there are as well. Um, make your own spaceship too. Other books, part of New Virgin Galactic deal. Um, that uh, pages of seven books. The partnership between uh, Virgin Galactic to uh, give you the ability to make paper models of their ship. Orbiter is a free and realistic space flight simulation program for the Windows PC. A uh, couple of uh, links for that. Uh, check it out. It is an older program, but it's still a way to uh, get your feet wet. And I'm going to next next week. I'm going to have a link to something that a lot of people are probably already familiar with, and that's the Kerbal Space Program. So we'll be looking at some of those things, uh, Kerbal Space Program and Orbiter, and uh, we'll be listing those as well as ways to. Uh, Join in and participate. Well, we've hit uh, pretty much the end of our first half hour. We've gone through most of the news. Um, I think we're ready for the commentary section. Have hey, we got anybody that's... Uh... I'm still putting up all these links you got. Okay. Cool. Cool. Are you done yet? Come on. Come no. On. Okay. I can't, apparently can't do them one at a time, so I'm not going to have to make sure that they... Uh, okay. yeah. But anyway... Um, you want to take a brief break so I can catch up with you? Yeah. Um, we'll take a, a brief break. Um, remind everybody that our uh, call-in number is 714-242-5145. That's 714-242-5145. We also have a chat box available for you to join in the conversation as we go along. If you'd prefer to lurk, uh, follow along there and see the links. Um and uh, you know that is something to consider. You know, once we start getting settlers on uh, on the moon and Mars and Titan and Ganymede and Callisto and you know all these different places that we can go here in the solar system, um, there are things we got to think about. One of those things could be lurkers. Who knows what lurks in the minds of men? That's for sure. And if you're old enough to remember where that came usually, from, usually, <laughs> usually you're getting old. Usually, women are are on the minds of men, but. No. So, minute and 59 seconds, starting now.
This is K Wad Radio, and this is this is Joe, and I'm here with Al, and of course it's the next space show. Uh, this day is the 11th, and we are our first show for the year. So, woo hoo 2015. We're looking forward to it. Looking forward to it to have a lot of cool things going on, and and uh, you know, we're just uh, you ready, Joe? You ready? Are you ready, Al? I'm a guy. I'm always ready. Come on. <laughs> All the links are up on there now. <laughs> so the call in number is seven one four two four two five one four five, or you can get on chat and listen. Uh, if you have anything that you want to say, go just right below the information about the show is a chat box. If but you of course have to be signed in in order to be able to use it, but you definitely can see all the links that we already gave you from the show, and you're more than welcome to copy and paste it into your own uh, file, so that way you can go back later. They're all clickable. Okay. You're finally yeah. done with all the chit chat. Well, of course not. <laughs> and so, just to remind everybody, our comment. Just to remind everybody, our call-in number is 714-242-5145, 714-242-5145, and we do have a chat, flash chat up and available. Um, check it out. Come join us in the conversation tonight. We're talking about two, we're going to have two points on our commentary. Um, the first one, uh, moon mining. Is moon mining really economically feasible? An article on Space.com tonight, uh, this uh, actually a couple of days ago, actually offers some interesting things. Um, A new assessment of whether or not there's an economic case for mining has been put forward by Ian Crawford, professor of planetary science and astrobiology at Birkbeck College, London. His appraisal is to appear in a forthcoming issue of the journal Progress in Physical Geography. Now, He says it's hard to identify any single lunar resource that will be sufficiently valuable to drive a lunar resource extraction industry on its own. Nonetheless, he said the moon does possess abundant raw materials that are of potential economic interest. And, of course, there's an infographic to go with it. Now, we can use these resources to build an industrial infrastructure in near-Earth space, he says. And which is a view spell shared by scientist Paul Spudison of the Lunar Planetary Institute and others. Now, if they're going to be helpful beyond the surface of the moon, if the moon's resources are going to be helpful, they're going to be helpful beyond the surface of the moon itself. The overall case for any future payoff from exploiting the moon's resources has yet to be made. And this is important. One bit of skepticism from Crawford concerns helium-3. Now, advocates envision mining the moon for this isotope of helium, which gets embedded in the upper lunar layer um, by the solar wind over billions of years. Now, hauling back the stuff from the moon could power still to be built nuclear fusion reactors here on Earth, advocates say. Now, Crawford counters that by saying it doesn't make sense, the whole helium-3 argument. Strip mining the lunar surface over hundreds of square kilometers would produce lots of helium-3, he says, but the substance is a limited resource. It's a fossil fuel reserve. Like mining all the coal mine, the coal or mining all the oil, once you've mined it, it's gone. 
on the investment required and infrastructure necessary to help solve the world's future energy needs by a moon extracted helium-3 is enormous and might better be used to develop uniquely renewable energy sources on Earth. Now, one thing to keep in mind is, is that with the new techniques in fracking that we're seeing, uh, which have got all sorts of side effects, all right, we've seen the price of oil and, ergo, gasoline drop by, in some places, $2 a gallon to less than half what it was less than a year ago. $1.83. I know. You know, I mean, it's just, from a person who's seen the price of gas rise from 25 cents a gallon when I was in college to near $4.20 a gallon when I made a trip last year, um, now we're back down to under $2 a gallon. This is exciting. For sure. So, um, but it, it, it does give cause for concern if we were to all of a sudden begin pushing to use these resources again and again and use and build our use back up instead of continuing to make the effort to reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, there are lessons to be learned in this. He also goes on to say that it strikes me that as far as energy is concerned, there are better things one should be investing in. So I'm skeptical for that reason, but that doesn't mean I don't think the moon in the long term is economically useful. He has a caveat for helium-3. Estimates for the abundance of the isotope are based on Apollo moon samples brought back from low latitudes. Is possible helium-3 on other solar wind and planet ions like hydrogen may be in higher abundance than the cold regolith near the lunar poles. That would be an important measurement to make and would require a polar lander. Now, all of this, though, again, bodes well to the question that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff up there on the moon that's worth grabbing. There are um, minerals. There are components for rocket fuel. We have confirmation of the existence of water ice molecules, uh, particularly in the uh, deep, dark, uh, permanently shadowed craters, uh, especially those found on the, the polar areas. We have uh, analysis from not only the Apollo trips, but also Clementine and, oh, now I forget what the other one. I had it, it was right there. I was going to, anyway, the more recent uh, trip, satellite trip to the moon that, that analyzed the, uh, the content of the, the surface with the idea that there are a host of products laying there literally on the surface ready for us to harvest for use. But just like what he says, the idea of uh, sending mining equipment to the moon to do all of this work is a huge infrastructure investment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that when you think about the cost of this material, and bringing it back to Earth, the challenges are going to be getting it, getting many of these things priced to fit within the marketplace that already exists. Yeah. Um, and for that, many of these potential products are not just not going to fit. Um, if you take traditional uh, high-value markets such as uh, metals, 
or gems, which appear to be present on the moon's surface. Ship mining, the cost on of the mining. Or? Well, the components are there on the surface. It's about, and of course, going deeper into the into the the moon's layers is not without precedence. I mean, there the equipment does exist well, to do so. If you have to do a habitat anyway. Well, now see, a lot of these proposals are not human; they're they're robotic. Which brings us to one issue that I've always posed, is how are you going to fix the robots when they start breaking down from the lunar regolith chewing up parts? Yeah. We know from each of the various different Apollo missions that that regolith just gets in and it grinds stuff up in nothing flat. And it sticks to everything. And the more activity you have in a particular given area, the more of this dust you're going to stir up and the more it's going to get into all of these parts. And without some sort of repair facility that can isolate the dust and give you a near clean room repair area, yeah. the more the more troubles you're going to have. Um, even on Earth, mining, the, the interesting thing is a lot of people talk about mining being this, this great, wonderful tool, but they forget that we don't use robots in mining on Earth. Mining is one of the many oldest practices of humans on Earth. Perhaps second only to farming. And in fact, maybe it may be older than farming. I mean, we picked stuff up off the ground as weapons well before farming ever got going. So, you know, mining's been around a long time. Well, yeah. And it's been all of that time. In order to kill the animals or to eat them. Well, there's that. But you had to have caves to live in for a long time. I was going to argue, but then I remembered, oh, yeah. Yeah. And we've had people using rocks and di even diamonds or I whatever thought, they I could get Flintstone. their hands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Flintstones. Yeah, 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 yeah. But here's the thing. And this is a question that I ask. Because I've seen uh, I've seen quite a few videos over the last couple of years and the research for my, my book coming soon, which we'll be making an announcement in in a few weeks. Um, that mining, while it uses um, telepresence, teleoperation, mining uses machines, but mining does not use robots. And the best I can determine, anywhere, it uses human-accompanied machines. Everywhere, yeah, even you know, and, and and you know, I I wondered about that, so I went and, and looked up, and even the tunnel boring machines, these things they use to drill the channel through. What? What is it called? It's called a tunnel boring machine. And I'll give you a visual on this one. <laughs> I'll give you a visual on this one that that could Somebody be really weird. Up on that one. <laughs> well, a tunnel boring machine <laughs> is like. A 60 foot wide earthworm. Oh, geez. <laughs> Chewing through the rock and the dirt oh, and the mud to to leave behind this this tunnel behind it. And in the case of the tunnel boring machine, not only does this thing chew through the rock and the stone and the dirt and the mud and all the muck and everything else, but it also does everything else necessary 
to the point that once it passes a section of tunnel, that tunnel is very nearly ready for use. It's got concrete sides. It's, it's shored up with all of the things that it needs, and it's ready for the placement of your electrical, your um, uh, fuel, your, your uh, fan, your air handling. All your infrastructure can go in right behind it, which is really astounding when you consider uh, how, much, how much work this thing does. But you, you could not haul a tunnel boring machine up to the moon. Not going to happen. Well, yeah, it's too heavy. Not, well, even the parts are too heavy. <laughs> hey, I, I, I mean, no. this thing took, as I recall, this thing took several months just to I've set up. I've read the traffic, a, a big, huge tractor before. Yeah. And a combine. Uh-huh. Those things are extremely heavy. Yeah. And they are huge. We don't have a rocket that could lift half of the parts for one of these things. And yet, these people are talking about trying to use lightweight robots to go out, scoop up the regolith, and process it into ore that can then be shipped back to Earth. We don't even have an infrastructure yet to send stuff back to Earth. So it's almost like, yeah, you're going to have, well, literally, you're going to have all these carts out there scooping up this dirt, making making stuff, and you don't have a way to get it back to Earth economically. And that's, that's of course, the next issue. That's the whole Ballywick. Now, now, here's the next thing. We're going to move on to the second half of our commentary section. And we're looking at um, an article that came across um, just the other day I spotted it. It's been out since January 5th. And should Martians pay U.S. taxes? <laughs> that would make a great cartoon. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, what part of that would make a great cartoon? Well, just the, the thought that it's a Martian. And so you got, like, a picture of what we consider old-time. Oh, no, no, no. What, this, what the article is talking about is humans that have, that know, have made the I trip know. to Mars. I had to, like, go beyond go, like, okay, this can't be what I'm. I yeah, got the visualization. Yeah, right, the little green guy. The green guy with his, his hands in his pockets showing that he doesn't have no money. Exactly. And see, <laughs> this, this then begs the issue because – let me, let me just give you, the, in a nutshell, what he's talking about. The dream of sending a manned expedition to Mars is long but with us. It, despite the enthusiasm, it seems we've made little progress until now. Now, understanding the planet's environment increases almost daily. Just recently, we tested a rocket ship capable of taking people to Mars, and a surprising number of people have volunteered to go to Mars, um, even if it means not going, not coming back. Elon Musk is fond of saying that he would like to die on Mars, just not on impact. And as <laughs> engineering and other hurdles fall, it is time. That's what he said, really? That's what he said. Oh, funny. It is time to address one of the most pressing and yet least discussed problems facing such a journey, one that could undermine it almost from the beginning. Now, of course, he's referring to taxes, and in particular, just how Mars tronauts, and ultimately Martians, assuming they stay, will be taxed on the income they earn while en route to and living on the red planet. Failure to address this important question now could lead to Martians renouncing the U.S. citizenship, or worse, let me explain. First, the tax law. Unlike most countries, the United States currently employs a worldwide system of taxation under which it taxes all income earned by U.S. citizens and residents regardless of where it's earned. Non-resident aliens pay taxes only on their U.S.-sourced income. 
At first blush, one might assume that a worldwide system would not reach income earned in space, but the term worldwide is a function of a lack of imagination, not a limit to the laws reached. It could just as easily be referred to as a pan-galactic tax system. Indeed, in 1986, Congress made clear that any income a United States person derives from a space activity should be considered U.S. sourced and therefore taxed in the U.S. Okay, now our foundation's been laid. So if you are a U.S. citizen and you go to Mars and you are paid for your service on Mars by a company in the United States, then that income will be taxed at United States rates, even though you don't live here. That's no. so bogus, man. Isn't it, though? Yeah. I am quite sure that, that everybody listening would probably say, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> hell no, I'm a Martian now. I ain't a U.S. But, you know, he brings up some good points here, and, and the rest of the article goes into more detail. And and so forth, but there there are some flaws to this whole taxation thing. Remember, we have to remember that England tried this, uh-huh. not only in the United States, but with Australia, and to a certain lesser degree in India, yeah. Indonesia, Indonesia, all yeah. of their empire states, they tried to tax them into oblivion yeah. and ended up losing That's in the long term. Yeah. Now, Spain... Uh, and some of the other and Portugal and some of the other countries also tried to to tax their territories in a, in a less uh, aggressive manner, but they still tried to maintain their hold on these colonies. And ultimately, again, we need to learn our lessons, people. History points out time and time again, exactly. no matter the nationality, no matter the armies or the navies, that ultimately independence will occur at great cost to both sides. And that when establishing a colony that is a long ways away. Yeah. And here's just just to keep in mind, here's something to consider. When the first people started sailing from England or from the British Isles to the Americas, the trip averaged around six months to get there. We know currently that if you time it right, the window for traveling from Earth to Mars is also six months. It is. So there, there, there is that, and that is just one parallel that begins to uh, raise up and uh, potentially wave the flag that, hey, guys, there are things we should not be trying to do. Right, now, like trying to follow what we've already done. In, in well, the world not only that, but consider, you know, just here's something for folks to, to take a shot at. Go go research on the Internet and search out the tax collection process, processes that were held and how much of those taxes actually made it back to England from the American colonies or Australia, if you should be living down under. Um, the reality is, is that a lot of it didn't make it to England. A lot of England's um, income from the colonies came not necessarily from taxes, but from the actual trade that the colonies made with other countries, where it had to go on English ships, and the, and the as a result, 
the tariffs and the charges and the pricing were set by England rather than by the colonies. And so England took their cut, and it was a hefty cut in those days. But the reality is, is that the, the logistics of attempting to collect taxes from people living six months away is problematic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come right. and get it. Yeah, come and get it. And, and of course, here's here's the reality. Um, <laughs> He's saying Iraqi's home. Come and get it. Yeah, there you go. In the article, he talks about one simple solution that he, he kind of intimates that might not be a good thing. And that is, is if a U.S. citizen or a group of U.S. citizens engenders the trip to Mars, they get to Mars, uh... Who's really going to believe that they're going to receive income from Earth? Think about that for a minute. How would they even collect that income? And where would they use it? Where would they use it? This is Mars. So the entire <laughs> premise of an economic engine that exists between or Earth, and, and, and you know, here, let's simplify this. Let's say they're going to the moon. That's only three days away. Okay? Yeah. On a one-way trip. Well, actually, it's a seven-day seven day journey to get there, okay, from launch to landing. What are they going to buy from Earth if they got income? Well, the idea is that they're supposed to be self-sufficient when they get, you know, as they're growing their own food and and, and producing right. their own water and, and, and filtration systems and all that. The reality is... What do they need from us? Exactly. And, and as we look at the products, the cost of shipping a product from the Earth to the moon is astronomical when they can probably begin to build it themselves. And with 3D printing coming into play now, somebody's going to send them a file from home oh, via the Internet, yeah. and they're going to print it themselves. They're already working on that, people. So oh, absolutely. What would, they, what would they need from us? So, you know, Metal, all, maybe, but you know, they'll be smelting their own things. That's right. right. That's right. But once that begins to happen. So now the question comes into play. Taxing people on another planet is just so stupid of an idea. It's foolhardy. It's, it's foolhardy. You're never going to be able to enforce it. And quite honestly. Send the tax, man. I think, I believe, I believe that the economic engine that helps to support settlers on the moon and later on Mars and beyond, is not going to be an income-based system. No, it would be a more bartering system. No, it will actually be what started out in the colonies. I thought that was a bartering system. No, actually, well, there was barter systems, and a lot of the stuff that happened in the colonies was barter-based. But what we're looking at is, is how do you... Well... Here's the thing. When you engage an employee in the United States, and then you send that employee, say, to Kuwait, okay? They're in another country, but they are a U.S. citizen in the employ of a U.S. company. Ergo, their income is U.S. sourced. Now, that means that the United States government, our ever-present IRS, can tap into the resources in the digital cloud, and keep track of what the company is paying the individual through the banks in this country. Right. Now, that person living in Kuwait is dependent upon the income that they get through the banking, digital banking system, yeah. 
yeah. in Kuwait, and they receive their income, uh, or their income is still stored in their bank here, but they then can access it from Kuwait. Now, that's not going, not likely to be true on the moon or on Mars. When you're looking at 21 minutes for a transaction to take place between the Earth and the moon, I'm sorry, 20, uh, three minutes for a transaction to go one way. So you're looking at, oh, at least several handshakes. So you're about looking for, for 20 minutes before the transaction is complete. It's a... Wow, that's like back in old age. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like standing there with <laughs> a handwritten check with an old lady whose glasses are dim. And the, the cashier is sitting there waiting for her to write out, write her name on the bottom of the check, and it's taking 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. I've been, uh, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. Now, the thing of it is, when you're when you're dealing with the moon, okay, yeah, okay. So, so a transaction to order something from Amazon is going to take 20 minutes just for the handshaking, not including the browsing and the and the looking up and that type of stuff. Yeah. But here's the thing: from Mars, back in dial-up age, guys, that's even worse than dial-up age. Yeah, it is. Now, think about the logistics if you're on Mars. The transmit time, and, and I and, and I hope somebody can correct me on this, but I, I seem to recall. Can't drive you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recall at one time that the key had to do the, the transmit time one way was around forty some minutes. I, I wouldn't swear to that. But what that means is, is that a transaction that takes, say, four handshakes is a two-hour investment. Do you really want to that? order an MP3 from Earth? Yeah. Are you sure you want it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, um, they're going to have to come up with whole new ways at Amazon to order stuff and, oh, don't and give them my ideas. And, oh yeah. I mean these these but these are these logistical issues I just see them make it send, make it send it by drone. Oh there you go. Oh there you go. <laughs> but see there? Now and you've got a six month shipping time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean by then that video's past A. Yeah. I mean, it's old hat. It's just like, yeah, I can see the Martians yeah, now. Hey, did you see the latest video from Madonna? Yeah. Who's Madonna? She is so two years ago. A little more two years. But yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's what we're but running yeah. into, yeah. what we're going to be running into. There's no streaming, people. There will be no streaming. Not between planets. At least not for a while. Not for a while. <laughs> Satellite. Well, just about. Yeah. But even with a satellite hookup, the the time delay between the satellites between Mars and Earth is still going to be that that forty minutes. So whatever videos you guys decide to take with you, you're going to be watching for long. <laughs> the the one nice thing though is is that with with companies like Google and 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 Yahoo and AOL, a lot of the content on the internet has already been stored in the cloud. And a lot of it can be downloaded and, and um, uh, both encrypted and compressed to, to fit on uh, perhaps a handful of, of hard drives that people could take, you know, selected sections of the Internet with them. And then just periodically get updates. 
I mean, 40 minutes for a, for a flash update. I can see Adobe doing that. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing to do. But, it, hey, you're right. There'll be none of this subscription cloud software from Mars to Earth or the moon. I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going <laughs> But back to our topics, okay? And I, and I want to kind of bridge the two topics for our commentary tonight in that on the one hand, we've got this idea of mining the moon for resources and, as a, by extension, mining Mars for resources and so forth. Um, I, have, I have studied this and, and watched many other people's impressions. And the thing of it is, the real challenge lies in can you mine, package, and ship products from the moon and Mars and send them to Earth at a price that will be competitive with those things here? And for everyday items, for things used in industry, this that's how, going to be challenging. Can, yeah, how can you possibly when, you know, just the rock, if you're alone, is going to be daunting. Well, yes and no. If they produce the rocket fuel on the moon and use it to send up, then the costs are far less expensive. All right, but still, it's a matter of transportation. True. And that's a massive transportation cost. <laughs> well, it depends. You and I have a friend who did a diagram that I thought was just, I mean, it was, it was cute, it was simple, but it demonstrates, um, I love this, Hot David. David Hollister, lives down in Ajo, did a diagram. And actually, he's done several diagrams that show some of the issues that we face in shipping things back and forth between the Earth, Moon, and Mars. And one of them was about an economic type of thing where you could almost use his diagram to compare, say, the way UPS or FedEx ships stuff around the country and around the world and then apply that to how you might consider shipping things between the Earth, Moon, and Mars, for an example. I don't think it's how he intended it, but it's geometric in design. So, uh, well, it was how he intended it. And in fact, he talks. He, oh, really? he, his, his comments in the in the in the graphic talk about <laughs> you wouldn't take, that. you would not take an airliner uh, that has a cargo plane. You would not try to fly cargo. From L.A. direct to New York. No. It's economically invalid. It doesn't work. But what you do is you send it from you send it from L.A. over to Denver, which is a hub. Yeah. And then from Denver, it goes to multiple distant destinations. And then it hits a yeah. dub, say, uh, a place, say, in St. Louis, that then goes down to the East Coast. So by using short hubs, you turn this huge logistical mangled nightmare into a workable um, uh, hub-based shipping conglomerate that actually works. Right. And it's not so much that from uh, L.A. to New York, but those may not be the end destinations. So and, in fact, the cargo you have. In Chicago, but you have a cargo thing going to New York. Well, then... How are you going to get to Chicago? Exactly. And so, and, and in reality, nine times out of ten, a plane load of cargo leaving L.A. isn't going to a single destination. It's not all going no, no, exactly. to Denver, Colorado, Denver, 
LA, St. Louis, or New York. It's going to many of these destinations. Yeah. And so you have to have hubs. And I, and I have a feeling that as we develop the, um, the, the, the economics and the shipping of, of products between the Earth, the Moon, and Mars, we're going to need a similar hub system where you have uh, transport ships that operate only in space. They never sense. land. And then you'll have stations at each destination that operate as hubs. Yeah, something like that in Star Wars. Yes, they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They all sorts of, of hubs. Yes, they did. And that actually, when you, when you think about all this stuff, makes a lot more sense. And so that colors the idea of the economic issues that we face um, from taxes. Yeah. Now, you take that and you now extend it back to this whole mining thing. Um, when miners went out from... <laughs> from California. We went out to California in the gold rush days. Mm -hmm. How many of those miners do you think actually paid taxes? <laughs> okay. Tax Unless the government assay office collected the taxes at the time they paid the miner for the gold, that miner didn't pay taxes. Yeah. All right. Well, eventually the gold has to go in somewhere. Well, and, and yeah. most of the times the, the gold went into the That's nearest mint. But they also use gold as actual currency. Right. For goods. Well, actually, each state yeah. in the day actually had mint facilities yes. that would create those coins. Now, the thing of it is, and so, again, there is precedence here that in a frontier environment, there ain't no way you're going to collect taxes because most of it's going to be barter. Yeah, barter. Most yeah. of it's going to be self-sufficiency. Yeah. You know. Um, between the two of them, I mean, you still need a fur, so you you. It's going to be a couple of decades they before. Traded, traded for food. Yeah. The fur trader traded for food and for other things they needed. Based on what we can show from the history books of not only the development of the American colonies, the Australian nation, um, and the other nations that sprung up out of colonial efforts, but also as America expanded west and the settlers moved west and so forth, there was no infrastructure set up to go farm to farm, ranch to ranch, and collect taxes. Because there were no taxes to collect. What, are you going to go around with a big wagon and collect chickens and hogs and steer? And then what are you going to do with them? How are you going to ship those back did, to Washington? They did do that back in environment, but right. again, that was still... It was from, yeah, it was just a small uh, uh, castle-type lordship, whatever the heck you want to call it. Right, and they went around and got their chicken. And that didn't last long. I was reading another article recently of how things, when, when the peasants began to migrate into the castles, into the small towns and cities, the economic impact of that was is that the citizens ended up having more power to change things than the lords and ladies had themselves. And so the just the economic stuff actually just developed on it own, on its own and eventually when governments trans uh, superseded the fiefdoms that were there, 
the government actually took hold and started assessing things like taxes and, and laws and all this kind of good stuff. So it was an interesting dynamic in the way that things developed. And I see, I, I really think that a lot of people need to take a step back as we expand into the frontier, we have to recognize that, first of all, this is a frontier. The idea of collecting taxes from people working on the moon or on Mars is problematic at best and nigh on impossible. There's going to be no revenue. It would cost them more to collect it than it would. They'd have to send a space shuttle to the moon to go get it because there will be no revenue changing hands between the Earth and the moon. It will all be barter for the first few decades, probably. So if there's again, so it's kind of like if, like Amazon, they can only take taxes within that state if they have a facility in that state. Well, that's currently the general assumption, yeah. So since but that's, that's changing, but it is changing. No, that's pretty much there where are, it stands at right now. Yeah. So that means that if they don't do business, so they don't have a facility in the moon. On the moon then how can, there's no way to, there's no, no taxes to collect. Yeah, there's no taxes to collect. Right. And, and then even more so when it gets to the point of being on Mars. Um, I love the, the, the intellectual exercises that these questions pose is intriguing, but for something that's, that's at least 50 to 100 years away. Um, do you really believe that England was collecting taxes from the pilgrims for the first 10 years while they were struggling to survive on this continent? I don't think so. In fact, just as, as a little-known point, it's important uh, people understand that the East India Company that is credited with building up a lot of this lost their shirt. And in fact, the company that that foot the bill for a lot of the people coming across the ocean ended up losing its shirt being sold, losing its shirt being sold again, losing its shirt being sold again over multiple iterations before anybody made any money on the deal. Wow. It was nigh on a couple of generations before any made money. Sticking with them business. Yeah. I mean, the reality is is that, that just there are ways to do this, but you have to approach it from the standpoint of a 100-year investment. If a business is going to invest in something like this, Which, they've got to have the stay, staying power to stick with it for 50 to 100 years right. to have a return on investment. Yeah. And 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 that's going to be the challenge. However, but if you look at it from a different stand, different point of view, take a company like, say, FedEx, all right, or UPS, or no, let's 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 go back to our original topic, mining. And let's 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 say, uh, what's what's the big mining company here in Arizona? Uh, Phelps Dodge, or used to be. I don't know if they still are. Used to be, but Phelps Dodge, they have cash reserves that they could probably pay to send. Not only, uh, say, 10 or so miners, well, the Dragon can only carry seven people, but Phelps Dodge could probably afford to foot the bill to send 
seven miners, and then another shot, another set of uh, another rocket ship with tools and materials for them to be able to survive for six months to a year on a one-way trip. Now, what they would do when they get there is they'd do mining, of course. Now, they might take some of these fancy robots, robot mining tools, sure. and their job would be first to protect the robot mining for the surface mining, mm -hmm. the strip mining for the helium-3, for the various different oxygen and, and hydrogen production facilities that they would have out there. But also, these miners would then get into the construction business. They know how to dig tunnels. So they could dig into the side of craters and literally create sealed habitats. Well, they would do that first, I would say. They would probably have to do that first in order to create a place for them to live and work. Yeah. Which just, I mean... Otherwise, you, they'd be, they'd be yeah. fried biscuits. Right. Now... The next thing is, is then, while these men are not making an income from Earth at all, right. there's no income going up to the moon. But it's also not costing them anything. But it's not costing them anything. So the beauty is, is the Phelps Dodge initial investment to set these guys up up there, they basically become a subsidiary of Phelps Dodge. They've had the initial capital investment to get them there. Hmm. Now they just wait, and hopefully they stay, they stay alive as an entity, Till the Phelps oh, Dodge, the Phelps Dodge lunar mining resource becomes a shipping thing where they start generating results. Now here's the other thing, and I've talked about this before. Mining the moon or mining Mars should not be a goal to send this back down to Earth, but rather should be mining minerals for construction, should be mining rocket fuel components for use. In lunar orbit, Earth orbit, and in preparation for the Mars trip. Okay. Now, if they did this, then there would be transactions of fuel to NASA or whatever other entity is up in orbit to refill their rockets to be able to do transfers of cargo, personnel, or whatever, or parts for the miners back and forth between Earth. And that would be the beginnings of the economy that could support further development in orbit. Now, if you get, then you turn around and you get a company like, say, uh, let's say, uh, what's uh, Tesla's, um, I'm not, not, not Tesla, uh, Solar City, I think is uh, Elon Musk's solar panel company. Now, if that company then turned around and invested in a crew of seven and various different tools and materials and put them in orbit, say with a Bigelow space station to live in, the moon provides food, raw materials that are then sent over to the Bigelow station. Now, Solar City could begin building solar power satellites. And that's actually a pragmatic approach to what they're talking about doing with robotic mining on the moon, which just isn't going to work because you've got no way to fix them. And that's the first problem. Plus, robots are inherently slow today because you have to tell them every step to make. They're just not that good at being autonomous. And in an environment on the surface of the moon where you've got radiation, you've got extreme temperatures of plus 280 degrees, then on the two weeks out of the year, two weeks out of the, the month, 
you've got minus 250 degrees. And these are temperature extremes that current state of robotics is really hard pressed to meet. It's challenging. So they've got to have some way to repair these devices when the dust gets in. And we're just about, I think, I, I think I've just about run out of steam. I'm almost out of air here. <laughs> I go so. all right. But you know, kudos to uh, to uh, Adam Chadoro uh, from uh, Future Tense. Uh, his article was a great, uh, great inspiration. It, it got me thinking, and I looked at it as well as the uh, uh, as well as Adam's article on should Martians pay pay U.S. taxes. So, hey, thanks, Adam, for, for the uh, thought-provoking ideas. The thought-provoking ideas. Um, I hope you'll listen in sometime. But with that, uh, I think we're going to close and leave you with those thought-provoking ideas as we move forward uh, into next week. Wishing SpaceX. Uh, yes. Heads up, thumbs up. Great launch. Good delivery in the next day or so, um, helping NASA. You know, I, there's one last little note I'm going to make here. SpaceX is delivering some of the supplies that were supposed to go up on the uh, Cygnus that was supposed to go up, the one that blew up last month. So SpaceX is coming to the rescue. But you know, like I said earlier about Sierra Nevada, I think that <laughs> I really think that that even though Boeing and SpaceX are the only two currently in the running right now for the uh, astronaut stuff, you still got a boatload of people out there doing cargo shipments up. I mean, including the Japanese and, and uh, the Europeans sending cargo up. So there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot of new space stuff happening in the next space that we talk about each and every week. So as, so as we move into uh, inviting you to join us next week, remember, uh, be safe, be bad, and be good at it. Until next week, folks. Yeehaw. So that's the end of our first show for the year. And... Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And remember that this show, I'll start over again uh, in about 30 minutes. Again, it's one of those things that keep on giving. You can listen to it at your leisure. Uh, start it up again and uh, listen to what you might have missed. And again, you know, take the information off the side here. That's only going to be good um, as long as you're logged in and you can copy and paste it, the whole thing. Uh, to some other file for yourself, some doc file. But without note, I'm gonna we're gonna say K Wild Radio, and this is we're signing out for the day. We'll see you next. Let me see what am I doing? We'll see you next Sunday, or do I am doing anything else before then? Well, we'll see. I might do something before then. We'll see. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys next Sunday at 7 p.m. The next space show with Alan Joe.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.